It's a good morning, isn't it? Yeah, it's a good morning. Um, I thought I would see, uh, uh, I see Mark, there's Mark with his Leafs jersey on. I saw Raj earlier. I don't have my glasses on, so there's another one up there, but forgive me because I can't even see who that is. Is that Sean? It's Sean. Melissa has one. Bethany, I see you've got a shirt on there too. Somebody actually had a Boston Bruins shirt on or something I heard earlier, and it's like, <laughs> I don't think that's acceptable. I don't know if that's acceptable. Um, yeah, but last night was tremendous, wasn't it? Yeah, you, you, know that, you know that we're overdue for a big win, right? When we're just up two games to one in the first round. And we're starting to reserve seats on Young Street for the Stanley Cup uh, parade and everything. But um, yeah, feel free to sport the blue and white. Those of you who are uh, Montreal Canadiens fans, I promise you that you won't get an allergic reaction if you put blue and white on. Um, but it's bring your friend to church day. So I've got Matthews on my socks. I got Matthews on my jersey. And um, I, I almost lost my faith, though, on Tuesday night. Did you almost lose your faith, too, on Tuesday night? Um, but I still believe, right? I still believe. Uh, but it's been a, a nice back-to-back couple games. But we're just having fun, right? It's good to have fun in church. And, um, yeah, we're hungry for a win in the city of Toronto for the, for the Maple Leafs. So we're, we're going we're gonna to just celebrate it and ride the bus as long as the bus is, uh, is on four wheels, right? Um, yeah, good, Mark. I'm with you, too. If you're interested in going to Israel uh, next week, uh, Avi's going to be with us, who actually coordinated a previous trip, and uh, he's going to take five minutes, speak to the whole congregation, and then there'll be a brief meeting afterwards where you can learn more. Um, the trip is planned for February, the middle of February, 2024. And uh, so that's next week, April 30th, and then you can learn some more. If you stay behind, you're not committing yourself to anything just to learn a bit more about what that trip will entail. And... Um, we're continuing a series we started last week. If this is your first time with us, you can always catch up on our YouTube channel or on our website. And we started this series called Choosing Shalom. Um, and uh, we'll unpack the Hebrew word again in just a moment. Uh, the Bible, again, if you're new to the Bible, the Older Testament's written in Hebrew. The New Testament's written in Greek. And at the same time, Jesus spoke Aramaic. And so we've got these first century uh, languages coming together, the ancient Hebrew uh, language. So the word shalom, known by many, it's uh, often kind of perceived to mean peace, uh, though it's so much more than just peace or the, uh, the absence of conflict. There's a whole lot more going on with that rich Hebrew word. And then in Greek, the word is arene. And uh, we get very compatible understanding of this idea of, of peace, wholeness, well-being. We'll take a look at uh, the Bible Project, Dr. Tim Mackey again, and all that he's done to help us understand the richness of, of the original language. And, um, and so we recite a passage found in uh, Numbers chapter 6. Moses wrote this. The Lord, uh, again, guiding and directing that the priests would speak these words over the people. The Lord bless you and keep you, right? The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his loving face towards you and give you peace. Shalom. Shalom. 
And so um, it, is, it is very much a part of the Hebrew culture, very intrinsic in the revelation found in both testaments, older and new. And uh, shalom is intended to be integrated into every facet of a person's life. And so if you were with us last week, we talked about how um, we want to choose spiritual health and wellness. And uh, we took a, a very informal self-assessment across five different domains of our lives to see how we're doing physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and relationally on a scale of one to 10. How are you doing these days at experiencing that sense of well-being and wholeness across those areas of your life? Because self-care and shalom go together. That's why we're talking about choosing shalom. There, there is something um, above and beyond us that is necessary for us to receive. And there's also an important part we play in choosing it. Uh, when you think about life, life is a series of little decisions. We make them all the time. You got up this morning and chose to come gather for worship. Uh, you chose to eat a certain kind of breakfast. Um, you will choose to do whatever you choose to do this afternoon with the time in front of you. We get to choose um, in many ways, a big, wide open circle in our lives. And the choices we make have a strong impact on the degree to which we experience wholeness and well being. Um, with the help of God, of course, we can decide ourselves into wonderful places. And when we push God aside, we can decide ourselves into some not so wonderful places. And uh, so, this is the, one of the values of Scripture. Not only do we get a chance to understand what God is like, Scripture is God's self-revelation primarily, but it's also a beautiful invitation for us to become familiar with the ways of God so that we can order our lives around what he says is a good and beautiful life. And so, uh, again, this series is about inviting you to choose wholeness and well-being. Here's the problem humans face. I can't imagine anybody would get up any day in their life and say, uh, I want to spend the rest of my life making decisions that will lead me away from health, wellness, wholeness, well-being, a good and beautiful life. The challenge is that we have this idea of what we think it means for us to attain it. And so as scripture says, um, there's a way that seems right to a man and a woman, but in the end it leads to a dead end or it leads to destruction. And so that's the challenge we face is in independent 21st century Westerners, we think we know best for ourselves. And so when we come to saving faith in Jesus, we say yes to his offer of forgiveness. We say yes to his invitation to be the leader of our lives. And then we learn what it means, as Pastor Gary prayed already, to, um, to learn how to follow him closely, to learn how to say, my instinct or my default is to take me this way. And I hear the whisper of the spirit, I understand what the word of God says to go another way. If you've tried your own way, you know that it leads to dead ends. When you try God's way, it leads to life. doesn't mean this is an easy path, not at all, but it does lead to a wonderful place, both sides of heaven. So uh, choosing shalom, that's what we're, we're up to over the next few weeks. So if you're able, would you stand with me? We're going to recite our passage to ponder. Again, this is one of those things. I grew up in a church a number of decades ago when we used to recite scripture together. There'd be responsive readings. And uh, as I'm getting older, I'm becoming more traditional. And uh, you might have a hard time believing that because I'm wearing a jersey on a Sunday morning in church. But um, I do long for those um, liturgical structural pieces sometimes. And um, our liturgy as Pentecostals is very informal, very spontaneous. 
But there's a place for us to recite the creeds, like the Apostles' Creed, or to recite scripture together. And it's good to hear our voices. So um, as we speak, um, I want to invite you. You're not obligated, but I'm inviting you to raise your voice as we um, speak together the beautiful sacred text. These are the words of Jesus, John 14, starting in verse 25. Would you join me by reading this with me aloud? All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The word of the Lord, and you may be seated. It's interesting as you consider that passage that Jesus says, my peace I leave you. And just prior to that, he was talking about the Holy Spirit, the advocate who would come. And so the Holy Spirit is a spirit of peace. Wonderful. And then he also says, and by the way, don't let your hearts be troubled. I know it'll be hard. I know there'll be challenges ahead, but don't let your hearts be troubled. And he says, don't be afraid. Let me just sort of kick off our teaching theme this morning with this idea. Fear has the power when our life is saturated with it to actually rob us of the shalom of God. When we are looking out over the horizon of our lives, and don't get me wrong, sometimes fear can be a wonderful gift to us. It keeps us out of trouble sometimes. But when we are immersed in fear, um, and when we are always concerned about what's going to happen next, that poses a huge threat to our wellness and our our wholeness and our future well-being. Um, It keeps us from the shalom of God. And I can't imagine a person in this room who doesn't know what it means to wrestle with fear. It's a human instinct that we have when we perceive troubles on the horizon. But Jesus is saying, I'm leaving you with something different. I'm leaving you with peace. I'm leaving you with the spirit of peace who will come and who will be your guide and your help. So um, back to Dr. Tim Mackey, thebibleproject.org. What a great gift that Dr. Tim Mackey is to the Christian community and to anyone who's seeking truth and wanting to understand the Bible. This is what he says about the word shalom. We looked at it last week. We'll repeat it over the next few weeks because it's really important that we really gain an understanding of this word. He says shalom. It can refer to the absence of conflict. That's a good thing, right? But often refers to something better in its place. So it's not the absence of something. It's the presence of something primarily. It can mean complete or whole. It can refer to a whole stone with no cracks or a completed stone wall with no missing bricks. There's no missing pieces. To reconcile or heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And then this is something we camped on a little bit last week. So good. When two rival nations, think Ukraine and Russia. When two rival nations experience shalom, they don't simply stop fighting. They start working together for each other's benefit. Isn't that good? That's a picture of the shalom of God. It's not just dropping your weapons of war. It's actually picking up um, tools to assist one another so that everybody um, benefits. There's a mutual benefit to your working together. So it's not simply, I'm not going to hurt you anymore, but I actually want to help you and you want to help me. This is what it's like to reconsider what life in Eden was intended to be, right? And so we as people in the kingdom of God are always working toward a restoration of Eden. 
where we are walking with God in unbroken fellowship and harmony and where we're not hiding and hurling blame at one another, where we're living in harmony and we are at peace with God's good world around us. We're at peace with him and with neighbor. Um, Who wouldn't want to sign up to follow Jesus and life in the kingdom of God when you think about that, right? When you think about that kind of approach to life, who would say no to that? All right, so today we're going to talk about choosing shalom, relational connection, and support. This is what all of us want. And maybe many of you in the room today feel like you have that. Others of you are longing for it, and it seems like it's missing. There's a missing piece in your life. And that missing piece is this relational connection and support. And um, so where we get into trouble sometimes in relationships is when we misunderstand one another. Uh, This room today is filled with two kinds of people, largely. Um, And you know this, the introverted among us. Are you an introverted person? You can raise your hand if you're introverted. I'm actually introverted. That's, That's where I am in the continuum, so to speak. Um, and who are the extroverts here today? Yeah, all right, interesting. I'm actually really curious to know, this is a pretty, pretty split you know, congregation today, but I think whole denominations have actually built around introversion and extroversion to some degree by the way they've approached their own liturgy. And anyway, that's a whole other conversation. But there are introverts and extroverts. If you're an introvert here today, you generally draw strength from uh, withdrawing or from finding uh, time alone where you turn inward. And uh, you have a tendency to experience, um, what's the word for it? You go into an environment where there's loud noises, bright lights, lots of energy and activity, and your capacity to be stimulated, you can receive stimulation more easily than extroverted people. So introverts go into environments that are loud and bright, and there's lots of activity, and they've been there for about a half hour, and they say, I think it's time to go home, honey. They've had their fill. Where an extrovert is like, stimulation's a little harder for them to come by. You think it would be the opposite. But their capacity to be full takes longer. So they're out there enjoying the concert, right? They're just like, can we go again, right? Or our wonderland, it's like, we've only been here for 12 hours. Can we stay a little longer? When an introvert expects an extrovert to be like them, that's when problems occur. Or an extrovert expects... An introvert to be like them, that's when problems occur. When we, when we ask or invite or perhaps demand that the other be just like us, that's when our relationships get into all sorts of, of trouble. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at, and I'll, I'll unpack it for us, we're going to look at the two sides of Adam today. And it's less about introversion and extroversion and more about something else. We're going to look at the desire of Jesus, and then we're going to take a look at the isolation of Elijah. And we're going to do all that in the next 25 minutes or so. So there are some notes uh, as well on the um, Version Bible app that you can find. Um, go to the far right, which is the menu. Click on it. Click on that. It'll take you to events, and then you'll see King Street Community Church. And if you don't have the Version Bible app, um, that won't mean anything to you. But um, the notes will also be on the screen. So we'll talk about the two sides of, of Adam. So um, when we read the book of Genesis, the opening chapters, we discover that God is going to work making a beautiful world. And uh, our world is fantastic. It's beautiful. It's our father's world. And we ought to take really good care of it. And um, so God puts the first man in a garden. And um, it's, a, it's a beautiful story where God, again, in Genesis chapter 1, it says he makes them male and female, and he makes them in the image and likeness of God. Chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. In chapter 2 of the book of Genesis, 
There's a different kind of creation angle where God goes to work and he fashions from the dust the first man. So he makes him like dirt man, so to speak. Adam actually means like from the soil kind of idea. It sounds like it. And then he breathes into his nostrils and he becomes a living being. And so this is the only part of God's creation where he puts his hands on it. So he's got his fingerprints all over the first man. And he breathes his living spirit into him and he becomes a living being. So the breath of God, the spirit of God is in us all. We bear his image and likeness. And, and we are made to resemble him, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons in one, which means you and I have this default toward relationship. We all, whether introvert or extrovert, crave connection and support with others. It's what we want. In fact, when it's missing, something significant is missing. Shalom is missing from our lives. And so that's why some of you are watching online today. Many of you are in the room today because you want to be seen and you want to see. You want to connect. You want to build friendships. Um, and in many ways, the church is a relational community. And there are times when we're online. And uh, if you're online and you've been tracking with us the last number of months, we'd love to have you come and pay a, a visit to us at 611 King Street West. We're a wonderful, safe community for people. And uh, you never know, there just might be some friends here for you to meet along the way. Um, but this is who we are as, as humans. But early in the gospel, or early in the Genesis narrative, we see that Adam, the first man, is given like two... Um, role description, so to speak. Um, God, the creator, says to Adam, I made you for me. I've put you in this garden to take good care of it. Um, and so the one side of Adam that we're going to talk about for just a moment is the productive side of Adam. God puts Adam in the garden and says, I want you to work it. I want you to take good care of it. I want you to produce, um, literally produce. I want you to produce from the ground. And, and I want you to till the garden and take good care of it and, and make it better. I want you to, to be productive, to be progressive, right? And so whenever we're inventing things and investing in our world and making it better, we're consistent with the one side of Adam, which was to go to work, right? It says here, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it, to, to steward it, literally, to take good care of what God had entrusted to him. So this was a very important part of the one side of Adam, which was to go to work and to make things better. And so our work is really, really important. I hope you have, and it's not always the case, but I hope you have deeply satisfying work that you get to do, where you feel like you are making the world a little bit better. I remember talking or uh, listening to a presentation once, it was on leadership, where this um, one gentleman was giving a talk about how um, he was trying to motivate his frontline um, fast food staff and how they were demoralized because people were coming to and fro and just grabbing their hamburger or fries in an airport. And they said, like, what's my purpose? What's my point? I'm just here handing out fries. And, and they were just doing it, like, remotely. Next, number 64, whatever, right? It was just really, really, they were, they were disengaged. And he said, try to see that you're not just giving fries and soft drinks and burgers. You're actually helping somebody get home. They've been at work for three days. They've been away at a conference. They've been traveling. They're exhausted. You're helping them get some sustenance as they go home to their families or they get to wherever it is that they're going. You're part of helping them get to where they're going. So sometimes our work, it might feel like it's not purposeful. It's not meaningful, but we need to come at it from another angle to say, but I'm, I'm adding value. I'm making a difference. If I didn't do what I'm doing, what wouldn't happen, right? 
And so um, that's my hope for you is that you see your work from a meaningful point of view. God put Adam in the world to make a difference, to make a contribution. It was the only one side of Adam. There was two sides to Adam. There was the relational side of Adam. And so uh, it wasn't just about produce, 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 though there was production required of him. Uh, There was a relationship that Adam needed and also helped to, in some ways, somewhat complete him. So we'll pick up in Genesis 2, verse 18. This is the relational side of Adam. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone, right? Relational connection is what we need, we crave, because we bear his image and likeness. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Adam's participating in God's good creation. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. There was no connection. The giraffe, the elephant, the dog, whatever, wasn't going to do it for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And he brought her to the man for purposes of companionship and connection. Because being alone in the world, God said, it's not good for you. And I've said this many, many times at King Street. Even though we are made by God and for God, sin has not entered the story yet. Just life with God as a solitary person is not good enough, according to God. He says, it's not good that man be alone. You need companions with skin on. You need humans, flesh and blood people to do life with. And so doing it alone, going it alone, and if perhaps we are extreme introverts and we withdraw, we withdraw, we withdraw, we hide. You know, the pandemic was, what did they say? It was like a beautiful paradise for introverts. Even if we are at the extreme edges of introversion, we still need people. We still need to see and be seen, know and be known, serve and be served, celebrate and be celebrated. We need all of that. And, uh, and this is the point with the first man and the first woman is to not go it alone. Something's missing when we go it alone. It's not consistent with the original design. And so um, choosing shalom requires today, our first thought, is embracing the two sides of Adam. For some of you, it's embracing the contribution God's called you to make in the world. Maybe that has been underemphasized in your life. And by the way, even if you're retired, you have a contribution to make in the world. Contribution and paycheck are not synonymous. Contribution is just adding value. Adding value. People have asked me over the last little while why, why I did a, another degree in counseling psychology. And I don't want to be useless as I get older. When my pastoral days have come to an end many years from now, I want to be like in my 60s and in my 70s, maybe even if God wills in my 80s. And people say, if you have one of those challenges, you might want to seek that guy out. He's a good counselor. I've already got my eye on what's my contribution going to be in a few decades. It's a good thing, isn't it? To think about how we can continue to be useful in the kingdom of God, right? Be useful. Yeah, that's my prayer most days. Lord, make me useful today. On your terms, whatever that means. And being useful, by the way, is not in the big and dramatic. Being useful often is in the small and the little and the unnoticed. Yes. 
All right, so uh, the two sides of Adam, that's part of our shalom, uh, a contribution to make and relational connection. Let's talk about the desire of Jesus. Um, again, when we look at Jesus, we see a beautiful coming together of introversion and extroversion. He is the perfect human, the God-man. And uh, there are times when he just can't get enough of people. And he's in the crowds. The crowds are gathering. People are jamming into houses. They're opening up skylights and dropping people down below for healing. And he's just in the middle of the action. He's loving it. There's 5,000. He's feeding the, the poor, the hungry. He, he's just showing up with people. People were drawn to Jesus. He, he had an extroversion aspect to him. And he had an introverted aspect to him. He would go off to solitary places and be alone and, and pray. And he would say to his disciple friends, that's enough for now. We've had enough, we've had enough of people for now. Let's get away and find ourselves some rest and some time alone. Let's get, let's get recharged differently. And I also believe that Jesus was aware of his 12 friends and they were not all the same. Beautiful studies have been done on all 12 of the disciples. They were all different. And, and unity is never sameness. Unity is, is, is celebrating what we hold common in the middle of our diversity. And the disciples, they had their moments, right? They're competing with each other. Who's the greatest and all this stuff's going on. But Jesus knew his friends. Some charged up a little bit differently than others. But Jesus is a beautiful picture of this, of this extroversion, introversion coming together with an overlapping circle. Just an absolute beautiful picture. Um, and so let's, let's take a look at Jesus. Jesus created a circle of friends because he desired connection. Jesus, the perfect God-man without sin, desired connection. Um, Jesus went up on a mountainside, Mark chapter 3. And uh, this is part of coming out of his time of aloneness. He's talking with the Father prayer, contemplative life. Jesus went up on a mountainside and he called to him those he wanted. He wanted them. And they came to him and he appointed 12 that they might be with him. We can underline that, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. It's a beautiful two side of Adam right there. Jesus wanted relational connection from his friends. So he invites them to do life with him. But he's also doing something because he's equipping them. He's helping to empower them. He's helping to train them as apprentices so that they might go out and work in the kingdom and be useful and make kingdom announcements and preach and teach because both sides are required for us to experience the shalom of God. And so Jesus chooses these 12 friends and he invites them to do life with him. If Jesus needed people to do life with, who are we to suggest that I don't need anyone? I don't need anybody. You know, screens are wonderful tools. They're wonderful tools, but they provide a pseudo sense of community. There is some form of connectivity happening. There is. I meet with people online all the time and we have some form of connection. Uh, but if that's all I ever had, I would miss out on the multi-dimension aspect of human relationships. We were built to be in, per, in person with people present at all times. And so uh, Jesus created a circle um, because he desired connection. Jesus went deeper with a smaller circle of friends. So he had his 12. Then he had three. And in Mark chapter 9, this is Peter, James, and John, right? After six days, Jesus took his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. By the way, it's not wrong to have three close friends or two close friends, or one close friend. It's not showing favoritism to a larger group of people. 
you can have a very close friend or friends. Jesus did. I don't know how the other nine felt about it, but it was okay for Jesus to have a close group of people. So he took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. And there he has this experience with them. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. This was an extra worldly or otherworldly experience. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. But Jesus invites these good friends, the inner circle to come and have this experience with him. Do you know an important part of building friendships is having shared experiences? It's actually about choosing to do life together, of course, but it's actually walking through the dark valleys together. It's about having these mountaintop moments that Jesus had with his friends. It's about doing life together. In fact, the Jewish people were very big on eating meals together. If you invited somebody to your home or you broke bread with them, you ate a meal, maybe even in our culture out at a restaurant, you're having a very important experience with somebody. It's, it's very personal to eat with someone else. It's the way we connect. I remember an early mentor pastor friend of mine said, Dave, you're going to find this in life. Um, there is great intentionality around building relationships. It's not something that just happens by accident. Sometimes you might have one of those providential moments and you build a friendship with someone. It's like, I didn't see that coming. But there is a little bit of an art and science to building friendships. Shared experiences connect people together. I've shared this with you before too. One of the destructive aspects that happens in church life or just in the human condition is when we talk out of turn. When people gossip and slander. And I remember doing a bit of research on it. Like, why is this so prevalent in the human condition? And here's one of the reasons why some people say that gossip and slander is so um, tempting for us is because when we can align ourselves with somebody else and point the negative energy at someone else, even though there's some destructive energy moving this way, there's productive energy moving this way. I can bond with you if we join ranks and isolate that person. So even though I might be full of negativity and criticism, I'm actually craving connection. And so whatever happens in workplaces, by water coolers, church lobbies, whatever that might look like, and it turns negative, it's actually, for those of us who are discerning and wise, an effort someone's making at connection. It's broken, but it's an effort at connection, a search for some form of community. So Jesus has shared experiences, and we can go about pursuing our own. All right, one, one last one here just before we go to point number three. When trouble was on the horizon for Jesus, he turned to his friends for support. Uh, these are his close friends again, right? In Matthew 26, then Jesus, this is his darkest, loneliest moment. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Right? Keep watch with me. There are times when the chips are down in life, things are really hard. We turn toward a support network of people that we've developed. This is why I always think it's healthy for us to join circles, uh, to put ourselves in a community. In a few minutes, I'm going to join my small group, and we're going to explore uh, some open-ended questions around the scripture talk, and we're going to talk about our lives, pray together. It's a way of connecting. Develop support when everything's going well in your life. Because trouble never makes an advanced appointment on your calendar. 
And when it comes, you'll be happy you had the support network you do have when you need it. It's an important thing to build into your life. Because as we get older, if you haven't noticed, trouble comes more frequently. And, and we need to have a circle. Jesus built one. And when the chips were down, so to speak, in his darkest moment, he turned toward the ones he thought he could count on. Oh, they weren't always there for him. And sometimes we get disappointed by our circles. That's okay. That happens. People disappoint people. But the odds of us being supported go way up if we cultivate it when the times are good. All right, one last one here. Number three, the isolation of Elijah. I don't know what Elijah's uh, personality was, but I do know he was burnt to the crisp. (laughs) Uh, You know, if you want to be a prophet, be careful, because um, one of the workplace hazards with being a prophet is death. (laughs) Just, Just ask John the Baptist, right? I didn't see that in the job description that I would require this, but... When you speak on behalf of God and you do it with clarity and with zeal, sometimes it costs you, right? And this is the story of Elijah. Um, Elijah is backstory. Um, he's run into a couple of people who are a little antagonistic, Ahab and Jezebel. They're hunting him down, in fact, threatening to take his life. And he believes them, and maybe he should. And so he's on the run. And so we find him, we'll, we'll pick up the story in just a moment here, but just before we do, let me just leave you with a couple of thoughts isolation can occur for lots of reasons. And Elijah appeared to isolate himself because of experiencing some measure of burnout. Burnout can be really, really nasty. Um, I think I had some form of burnout a number of years ago when we built this space, actually. Uh, I remember telling a few on our board, I said, I just feel a little bit different than I have felt in a long time, if ever. And I, I think I suffered burnout symptoms um, when, we don't, when we don't practice the regular rhythm of work, rest, work, rest, um, we're not machines, we're humans. Things break down. And, and if you have a really serious breakdown or burnout, it's hard to come back. And, and maybe even our comeback isn't fully back to where we once were. And so burnout is real. And it happens to people. And you know one of the reasons why people burn out is not because they work really, really hard, though that's part of it. One of the reasons people burn out, this is what the, uh, the literature would tell us, is that they're actually doing work that's not meaningful. They've lost the plot, so to speak, or it doesn't connect, it doesn't resonate, it's not good use of their gifts or their passions and abilities. And so they're spending energy at work, but it's not giving them any restorative payoff. And so after a little while, and the last time I checked, I didn't go to Bible school to do a building project, Pastor Gary. Right? I didn't get that course on how to build a whatever it was seven or eight million dollar expansion and capital campaigns and all the rest of it and thanks be to god for gord simcoe if you're watching today gord thank you you probably saved my life um but you know what i mean when we do things that we're not we're not equipped for we don't feel a sense of significance it can it can cause us to leak energy and and get ourselves into difficulty i think elijah is doing all the things he's called to do he's just bumped up against some stress producing antagonism and it's taking its toll on him And when we're feeling worn out and despairing, we can easily withdraw and it feels safer that way to step away. Have you ever had a season in your life when you felt exhausted or depleted or you're up against maybe some measure of antagonism and every default in you was like, just withdraw and step away? Because it's safer that way. 
I'm being really, really honest with you. This is what I've built the whole ministry on, by the way. Jesus Christ and him crucified, number one, and then me being as honest as I can be. So here I am. When I'm not at my best, you know, sometimes the hardest place for me to be is the church lobby. What, pastor? You're supposed to be a pastor. Yep. I'm human. Thank you, Pastor Gary. When I feel that moment where it's like, oh, there's the lobby and I'm feeling it, I know that I need to slow things down because it's a little metric for me that says, oh, you've been pushing a bit hard lately because I'm an introvert and walking through crowds can sometimes be challenging for me. I'm much more comfortable sitting one-on-one with people. I find that very meaningful. I love our small group community. Can you guys handle this vulnerability from your pastor? Yeah? Okay. I hope so. This is just the real deal here. Uh, And the reason why I like this kind of stuff, here's why. I never wanted to be the best show in town because I know I couldn't be anyway. So it's like, why bother? I don't want to be the best show in town. And what I don't want to do is advertise for you that Christian life and people who are Christian leaders don't have these areas of weakness or struggle or challenge or whatever it is. Because I'm going to set you up to have expectations for you as you consider life with God that are not realistic. Might make me look better, but it doesn't help you. God's invited me to be as much help to you as possible in the context of the gospel as possible. And so sometimes, maybe some of you can relate to that. When you're not at your best, you look at crowds too and go, oh man, I just want to go to Tim Hortons and sit on my own. Or I just want to go home actually and sit on my own. Um, Can I say that's okay? That's okay? Now here's what I'll also say, and I'm saying it to me too. Don't stay there for too long though. Don't stay there for too long. If I stay in my living room too long because it's safer, number one, things will happen inside of me that will shift, that won't bring the best out of me. And then I will miss opportunities to be more useful in the kingdom. So know the dance. Know the dance. Know yourself well enough to do the dance so that you can, as consistently as possible, be at your best. All right, so back to Ahab for a moment and Jezebel and Elijah. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid. Remember fear again keeps us from our best life? Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He just wanted to get away from it all. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. This is a prophet called by God who just had a showdown with the prophets of Baal, saw the drama from heaven come down, fire burned up the sacrifices, right? Take my life, he says. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep because he was absolutely 100% exhausted. I don't know a lot about his mental health, but I can imagine he was at the edges experiencing tremendous anxiety, probably some depression symptoms of some sort, and he just wanted to push back at all the things that he felt were sources. He even left his servant. I don't even want to be with you right now. I just want to go in here and be on my own. And so, um, but I, I don't hear Elijah being judged for that, by the way, in the text. When the angel comes to Elijah, he helps him recover, but he doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't say, what's wrong with you? He just helps them get better. And it has to do with eating and resting and drinking. 
restoring his physical condition. So it's all okay when we have tough moments like that. So shalom, wholeness, well-being, relational connection, and support. We all need it. This is one of the tremendous gifts that we as a faith community hold out to our culture. And I think on Easter Sunday, you heard me say, if you were here, you can belong first and believe second. You can belong first and believe second. Number one, because we are as a faith community inviting people to recover one of the important aspects of who they are as people, which is to connect relationally. There's not a lot of these places in our world anymore where people can connect like this. So come as you are. Take a risk. Say hello to somebody. Have a coffee. Introduce yourself. You never know who you'll sit beside or who you'll meet in a lobby one day that could be a friend for decades to come. And you might actually find that after you've belonged for a little while, you actually start believing. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? You come in as an agnostic or an atheist, you get to know some Christian people and you say, hey, these people are real. These people really live it out. They're not perfect. No one pretends to be perfect. The guy on the stage wearing the Matthews jersey is not even perfect, right? All right, so let's wrap up with this. Here's the take-homes and then we'll, we'll finish. Uh, some of this I've mentioned before, but just let me get these three out. Screens have their place in our lives, but limiting screen time can help us be better positioned for connection and support. I said to Pia this morning, do you know, decades ago, doctors would actually encourage patients to smoke some cigarettes when they were experiencing anxiety. It would be calm your nerves, right? Have a, have a cigarette. I wonder, here's what I wonder. Let me just throw this crazy idea out there. This experiment that we're doing right now with these screens that a generation might be paying for where they are experiencing a host of challenges, host of challenges, behavioral, mental health, so many things. Too many to talk about right now. I wonder if a decade or two from now, what we'll actually find out is as these things are designed, whatever iteration they'll be and the apps, I almost wonder if there'll be some mandatory, not optional, but mandatory app limits where you can only open an app for so long during a day and that's it. And it'll shut you down. And you won't be able to put a passcode in to get it active again. It'll be like literally shut you down. Because these things are tremendous gifts and tools that can serve us well. But when we become servant to them, they have the capacity to rob us of shalom. So even if it's just incrementally, put it away for 10 minutes here, put it away for 10 minutes there, maybe for an hour. Learn to do life not so tethered to your phone. I'm preaching to me first, by the way, before I say that. Because I feel often tethered to my phone, and it's not a good feeling when I feel so dependent on it. Ever misplaced your phone before and gone into panic? Yeah. All right. Second take home. Reach out to someone. What if you tried this just for seven days between now and next Sunday? Reach out to someone once a day. Drop them a note. Call them. Leave a voicemail maybe. Invite them for a coffee or a walk. Mix it up throughout the week. Just once a day. 
might take you less than five minutes. Somebody, Suzanne actually did a beautiful drawing for me and wished me a happy birthday. And it was, it was like, she's a tremendous artist. Suzanne drew a beautiful picture and put some very thoughtful words in it. Wish me a happy birthday. And it was like, that was, that was a lot of effort for Suzanne to do that. That meant a lot to me. So why don't you take the time? Put on your calendar. Once a day. Reach out to someone today. Huh? Maybe it's text, phone, want to go for a coffee, want to go for a walk, whatever it is. It's a way of re- reaching for relational connection. And, and not isolating in ways that are not helpful. All right, here's the last one. Join a circle. It's important to be seen and to see others. And, and again, if the pandemic taught us anything, and it did teach us a lot of things, it taught us that we're not at our best when we don't see people. And we absolutely do need one another, right? When we're isolated from each other, it's not good for us. It's not good for anyone. And then try to push back against that consumer mentality that says, yeah, but I don't really feel like doing it. Or, you know what? I didn't get anything out of that. You know what? Sometimes you don't feel like doing something and sometimes you don't get anything out of it, but it's not about you. It's about us. It's about us. Somebody needs you. You might not feel like you need them in this moment, but they might need you. So show up, show up. Say, here I am. I'm here. I don't know why I'm here, but I'm here because somebody might need me. And that would be a commitment to a community not a commitment to your own satisfaction. Now, here's how life in the kingdom works. When you make a commitment to the community, God's community, the satisfaction will will come to you indirectly. When you seek satisfaction directly, it's hard to come by. Well, Mick Jagger can't get no satisfaction. But when you decide that it's about others, all of a sudden, I have never felt so full in my whole life. I was made for this. In some strange, inverted kingdom of God way, it's come back to me, even though that wasn't the point. The point was to look out for others. And here I am being cared for. It's the way it works in the kingdom of God. All right, there it is. I'm done. And uh, <laughs> Pastor Gary, when I grew up as a, as a Pentecostal pa- or a kid growing up in churches, there used to be like the, the plane would come down and land, right? And there'd be all sorts of stuff happening. And now I'm just saying I'm done. That's it. I'm done. It's over. It's over. Yeah. You got your money's worth. That's the end. Okay. Uh, okay. So next week, we're going to talk about choosing shalom, choosing forgiveness. Do you know a really cool thing I learned about forgiveness this past week? And you'll get more of it next week. Forgiveness is actually a byproduct of empathy. Anyway, that's a teaser. Stay tuned. It'll come back.